praying for for you guys this week, and I really just had these words uh, just drop in my heart, and so I wanted to share with them. And that's simply this, that you are free to be you. That you are free to be you. And I read a quote this week that said this, you were born an original, don't die a copy. I think sometimes whenever we become Christians, when we begin to start following Jesus, there's this temptation to want to start to become something like, well, the rest of the group. I've kind of kind of got to put on this kind of face or this kind of look or say these kind of words, do these kind of deeds. And there's a part I think that God's just saying this morning, you are you. And you should be comfortable being you. And you're not me and I'm not you and you are free to be yourself. What the world needs is for you to be authentic, to simply be you. And I was just telling some of the guys this week, uh, you look at the disciples that Jesus called, and some of these guys are just completely different. Peter and John, just completely different personality types. One guy, I kind of relate to Peter because he constantly has his foot in his mouth. He's constantly kind of saying things, and Jesus is having to be like, get behind me, Satan. Like, I know that feeling. I mean, I'm there. And then John, he's just kind of the, and you find him like just kind of, resting on jesus's breast at the table and kind of he's just man he's just so calm and yet these guys hang out together and it was something really really beautiful and it would be a shame if well peter tried to be john and if john tried to be peter it's the same thing with us that you are free to be you amen okay so the book of joshua i'm going to start in chapter 24 i'm going to read verses one through six and then we are going to skip over to verse um, 13 and then continue reading. And we'll kind of see where we get. Okay? Joshua 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for the judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And, God, and Joshua said to the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, Dwelt, in other, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and I gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob, and Jacob Esau, to e- I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterwards, I brought you out. Then I brought, out your father, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers and chariots and horsemen into the Red Sea. The following verses it just continues to talk about all of the faithfulness that God has done for them with winning uh, great battles. In verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them and you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. 
And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in which land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so the people answered and they said, far be it from us that we should forsake the the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he, he is the one who brought us up and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs, those great signs in our sight, and which preserved us in all the ways in which we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelled in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. For if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourself to serve. And they said, we are witnesses. So a little bit of background about what we just read. This book of Joshua here in chapter 24 is a kind of a farewell address that Joshua is giving to the congregation. Um, It's a little bit like the end of Deuteronomy where Moses is getting ready to to die and he gives his last farewell address to the people. These are the words that right before you die, these are the things that you want people to know. This is what's on my heart and this is what I'm saying. This is what I want to kind of leave behind. And so here in Joshua, these, right before Joshua is getting ready to die, he's saying, these are my last words. Now, what's interesting about this is it actually happens twice. So if we were to rewind to chapter 23, we would read that it starts the exact same way. He gathers all of the people together and he gives this kind of farewell address because he thinks, man, I'm getting ready to die. And so chapter 24 is, well, he didn't die as as quick as he thought he was going to. And so, well, let's give another farewell address. So he gathers everyone in again and he begins to, to give us this discourse that we just read. And so it's kind of like that moment in a movie where you've watched the whole movie and there's that last five minutes and it's just, ah, everything culminates at the end. Everything that didn't make sense at the beginning now makes sense at the end. But then the credits start the roll and you think the movie's over and then it pops back up again. Wait, wait a minute, there's two more minutes. And that's what this is. This chapter 24 is, is two more minutes. Like, wait a minute, the movie was over, but now there's a little bit more that Joshua has to say. And so he's giving this, and he's giving them not just at the beginning here a history lesson. It's not just, hey, this is what God has done for us. These are all the battles that he's won for us. This is what happened with our fathers and their fathers and their fathers before them. But he's also saying, well, at the beginning, this is the word of the Lord. This is something that God is wanting to speak to us. And he's, God is wanting to remind us of all of his faithfulness. Everything that he's done, every step of the way, when we were slaves in Egypt, when we went through that Red Sea, when we went through all of these battles, let me remind you that God was there the whole time. And he has been faithful. And he goes and he's telling us because he realizes that he's at the end of, the li- of his life. 
And if that, there's anything that has kind of followed a trend throughout all of history, is that this, that there are ups and there are downs. As we continue to read the Bible, we seem to see these certain patterns evolve of the people turning towards God, the people turning away from God. And Israel gets blessed, and then they mess up. And then they get blessed again, and then they turn away from God. And so there's this kind of revolving thing of there's ups and downs to history. But see, it's not just the children of Israel. It's not just, it could be applied to everybody. You look at all all of, uh, of history where we see the rise and the fall. It's true of, of, of all great nations. There's this up and down, up and down. But see, it's not just this people group. It's not just nations, but we got to remember that, well, nations are made up of communities. Communities are made up of, well, people. And if we were to look at our own lives, we'll find that there is this pattern of up and down. And sometimes we get on board with God and we're all, and then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, we've kind of turned another way. And then, well, wait a minute, what happened, God? Where are you at? And there's this pattern of up and down. And so it's not just the story of this particular people group. It's not just the story of this one nation. Well, it's my story. It's the story of what, well, God's done in me. It's the story of what God's done. And you and see Joshua is very familiar with the ups and downs of life. And he's very knowledgeable of this, that sometimes we get so focused on the down times of life that we think that that's the moment in which we all give up. When everything has gone wrong, when we're in the middle of the storm, But Joshua is very conscious of the fact that that's not really the time when most people give up. Most people give up when everything is good. When, man, you're on the top of the world. And after all, man, I got everything I need. I've got the family. I've got the bank account. I've got the job. God, what do I need you for? And see, he's speaking to a group of people that have come out of slavery. They've come out of the desert land, and they are taking their promised land. They are getting ready to, to, to dwell in everything that God has promised for them. The blessings are coming. And Joshua is saying, listen, at this point in time, you need to remember to be very conscious that when things get good, you have a tendency to turn your back on God. Now, again, remember, it's not just a nation. It's not just a people group, but it's my story. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it could be true for a lot of us. There's that times where, man, everything is just going so good. What? God, come on. Everything's good. I read this uh, quote by another person. He said this. He said, um, uh, let me find it here. It's not that we become weary of pain, but, it's become, but we also become weary of pleasure. See, it's not just that we become weary of pain, but it also we can become weary of pleasure. Now, if you're in here this morning and you're thinking, I'm in the midst of the pain, I'm in the midst of the struggle, there's no way I'm going to become weary of the pleasure. There's no, I mean, if you knew what I was going through now, and then all of a sudden there's these conversations that you begin to have with God, well, God, listen, if you just get me through this, I will never, I won't do that again, God, I promise. And to which God's saying, yeah, heard that one before. And to which somewhere we know in the back of our mind that, "Mm." 
But then, then if you're in the other side of the group, if you're in here and you're just kind of, everything is going great, you know there's a part of you that's like, well, I'm kind of bored to death. I have a friend that I, uh, I called and we talked a little while this week and he's up in Michigan and we were just talking about his walk. And, uh, and he, he told me this, he's like, Lucas, I'm, I'm kind of at this point in my life where it's just too easy. Everything's just too easy. The job's good. The church is good. I have no complaints. And, but I just haven't, I haven't really done anything. I'm really not. He, he's bored to death. He's become weary of all the pleasure. How many lobster dinners can you eat? <laughs> so I said a lot. You can. You can eat a lot. But there will be a point where you crave ramen noodles. I'm telling you. It'll happen to all of us. We become weary. Have you ever had those good weather friends? You know, everything is going good, and you just got friends that are just all around you. Oh, man, this life is wonderful. But the thing is, with God, it's like we're the opposite with God. With God, we're bad weather friends. When everything is bad, that's when we're close. Like, oh, God, we're right here. I'm right, I'm right with you. We're like these bad weather friends with God. It, a perfect example, um, 9-11. When 9-11 happened, man, People, people were packing out the churches. We had, we had our president on TV talking about prayer. We had people who didn't even believe talking about saying things like, will you pray for me? I, I don't even know about this whole thing in Jesus and God, but I, I, I know I need prayer. And, I, and so there was this kind of turning in the midst of this pain and this hurt. But then what happened? Well, the rubble started to get cleaned up. And we forgot. We don't need God anymore. As a matter of fact, don't even mention that thing of prayer. And so the pattern continues, and, and Joshua's saying, listen, if anything, I want to warn you guys that when you're taking this land and you're dwelling in this, this promised land, there's milk, there's honey, there's everything that God's promised you, things are going to get good. Don't forget God. Don't forget the faithfulness of God. Don't forget that he took you through that sea. Don't forget all of those times where you were in the desert and you were in pain and you were in hurting and you were getting your back beat by some slave owner. And he's saying, listen, remember that because God was faithful through all of that. Will you be faithful when times are good? And these are his last words. He's saying, listen, I want this to get deep inside of your heart. And he begins to charge the people and he gives them this covenant. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about this covenant that God made with Abraham. But now we have this covenant that man is making with God. And, and he does it a few different ways. First, he says, this is going to be an oral covenant where I want you to, to make a choice, to choose this day, to say whom you're going to serve. And then the Bible continues to tell us that. And then he writes it down. But he doesn't just say it. He doesn't just write it down. But then he puts up this monument so everyone can see it. And remember, this was the day that you made the choice that you are going to serve God. Because he's doing everything he can to drive this home that, listen, there may be a time coming where you are going to be tempted to forget him. So I want you to remember. I want you to say it. I want you to write it down. I want you to make a monument because this is very important. Choose this day whom you will serve. And he because remember, remember our father Abraham said he had to cross the river. And so if we were to rewind back to Genesis chapter 11 and chapter 12, we would find this conversation between God and Abraham. And, 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 Abra- and God speaks to him and says, get, get out from here. Go to a place which I will show you. 
And that place meant crossing this river. It was the river that we would now call the Euphrates today. And he's saying, get out from this place in which your fathers have, have served gods on the other side. And so there was this distinct boundary line that if, if Abraham, if you're going to follow God, you're going to have to move into this place that is completely different from anything that you've ever known. It's going to be, it's going to cause you leaving your, your father, your mother, all of this, everything, you know, and to follow me, you've been living in this land of idolatry. There's, there's all of these other gods and everyone's serving. And now I want you to follow me. And Abraham does it. He crosses over this, ri- this river. He takes a step of faith. And I love the fact that Joshua is reminding them of that because it reminds us that we all have roots there. We all find ourselves at one point in time on the other side of the river. We all find ourselves at that point with those that worshiped other gods. While we were yet sinners. We all find our roots in a place where we need God. And the call is still the same. God is saying, I want you to come on over to the other side. See, there's all different types of rivers. For Abraham, it was an actual physical river. For us, what is that thing that God's telling you to do? Where is he calling you out to? God's saying, cross over. Follow me. Put all of this behind you. Whenever you gave your, your life to Christ, when you were baptized, you said, That's the end of me. That's the end of Lucas. When he's going down, he's coming up a new person. And that person belongs to Jesus Christ. And if you say, go over here, God, that's where I'm going. If you say, go over here, if you say, stay, stand put, that God, that's what I'm doing. Are we going to cross that river? And see, Jonathan is reminding the people, cross the river. Don't go back to that lifestyle of serving these other gods. Cross the river the river now here's where it gets interesting as he's made this beautiful I mean, he has spoken god's words to the people he's given them this charge saying listen be careful of this and he's got everybody on board everybody saying listen this is the god in which we want to serve we see all of his faithfulness we see everything that he's done and this is basically uh this is what we would call a modern day altar call I mean, he's got everybody pumped up. Everybody's ready to just give their lives to God. God is the God that we are going to serve. We're crossing over. We're going to serve this God. This God, we're putting aside all the the idolatry, all of these other gods. Yes, we're ready. And and this is the point where Joshua looks at them and says, no. No. Let me read it again. Everyone's on board. We will serve God, verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Whoa, wait a second. Hold on. Wait a second, Joshua. Now, this is the part, if he was up here this morning, this is the part where somebody would pull him aside and say, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what you do during the altar call. What you do is you make the mood really nice. You put Chris on the keyboards and you... You play some jazzy kind of thing, and, and everyone bows their heads and close their eyes, and then they just slip their hand in the air and say a little prayer. And then we all celebrate because everybody's saved. Joshua says, no. If you're going to do this thing, 
if you were going to cross over this river, you need to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Because this God that we serve is a jealous God. And he wants no other gods. And he's pounding this point home. And the reality is, for many of you, you came into Christianity with this idea of, like, it's okay that you still... No, it's not. The reality is you need to know up front what you're getting yourself into. And God's asking you to give everything to him. Your life, your all, your bank account, your wife, your husband, your kids. Because he's a jealous God. Things haven't changed. He's saying, I still want you. And all of our rivers are different. There's different things that we have to cross. And it doesn't matter if what I'm doing and what you're doing. See, God's called you to do something. And if you're not doing what God's called you to do, well, why do we keep comparing ourselves to others? When God's saying, this is what I have for you to do. This is what's important. And for Abraham, it was simply just crossing a river. It was just, okay, God, I'm just moving with you. It's really simple. Christianity is not as, as complex as what we made it. Christianity is the story of redemption. And let me remind everyone that we are on this side of the redemption, and we need the redeeming, and that Jesus is the one that gives it. See, things get very, very complicated when we try to switch roles. And Joshua's saying, listen, you guys can't do it. You don't have enough willpower to do it. You don't have enough strength to do it. You can't be a good enough person. You can't just stop smoking or doing drugs. You can't just stop having sex with your girlfriend. You can't just obey these laws because the reality is you're going to mess up. He's saying, hold on. You need the strength of God in your life because you can't do it on your own. We need Jesus. And sometimes, here's the thing. We've developed this culture today that Christianity has to be defined. And it's so sad. Because if you were just to ask people on the streets, what does being a Christian mean? What you'll find is, well, there's two different really main things that are flowing through America right now. And on one side of the street is the overzealous Christian that... Their whole life is full of, this is what the Bible would call the Pharisee. That they're just ready to judge everyone that they see. They're throwing out all of their scriptures totally out of context. They're the, they're the, this, is the, this is the television show with the guy that handles snakes and stuff. All right, this is, this is the Christian that goes and bombs an abortion clinic because abortion's wrong, and so I'm going to go bomb in a clinic. This is the Christian that, Stands, I mean, it's just wacky, stupid stuff, okay? Like, there's no other way to say it. And then, then there's the Christian over here that's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. A- anything goes. The Bible, eh, it's optional. You know, B- Buddha, Muhammad, Allah, all, the, well, all these paths lead to God. It's all good. Everything's relative. And so we find these two groups of Christianity and so for, for some of us that want to say, listen, that is not Christianity. 
And what's happened is we've defined Christianity here in America not by what it is, but by its abuse. We've defined Christianity by its abuse. And so if you were to turn on the television station, if you were to listen to the news reporters, when you see all these wacky people with the the snake people and the the guy that's trying to sell you something like a used car salesman, what is it reported as? Well, the Christian group. No. But then the, the opposite, where if you look at a Muslim, that's done something that's, that's, that's bombed a building or something. Well, this is known as, well, a radical Muslim. They're, they're, they're different from regular Muslims, but this is the radical. Well, the reality is that's the radical Christian. That's someone that has no clue what they're doing. And so we've defined it by its abuse. Are you with me? Are you tracking me? And that's why it's so sad that when we talk to people, we have to define it. When someone says, well, well you're, you're a pastor? Oh, you're a Christian? That's it. Well, well, listen, am I a Christian in the sense that I'm going to look down on you and judge you and I think that I'm better than you? Well, then no, I'm not a Christian. And it's, it's, we've, gotten, we've gotten to that point. And what's happened is we've let the vocal minority influence the silent majority. defined by its abuse. And I love this. When Joshua was standing up to the people and he's saying, listen, it's time for you to make a stand. And I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the God, serve the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I don't know about everybody else in this room. I don't know about your pastor. I don't know about the preacher on TV. I don't know about your next door neighbor. I don't know about the person sitting directly next to you. All I know is that as for me, I'm going to serve God. See, this isn't somebody else's religion. This isn't my mom's religion. This isn't my father's religion. This is me and Jesus. And I am putting a stake in the ground right now. I am choosing to cross this river just like my father Abraham and say, you know what? This is the moment where, God, everything is yours. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's time for us as Christians to take a stand. That there has to be a line in the sand that says this is what following Christ looks like. What if Rosa Parks didn't get, if she just got up and said, here, have this seat. What if you decide, I'm not going to feed my kids this week. What if Paul decided, hey, well, writing's not too spiritual. Um, They don't need this thing called the New Testament. What if Lincoln didn't decide, you know what, slavery is wrong. There's a line that has to be drawn. And sometimes we so over-spiritualize things. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Let me, actually, let me read you. What I really feel like God is saying this morning in Romans 12, 1. Please don't, don't turn with it. And actually, don't even put it on the screens this morning. I just want you to hear the words. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walking. You're walking around life. Walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. 
embracing that what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what what he wants from you and quickly responding to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your everyday normal life and give it to God. Because that is spiritual. God said, I want you to be the best surveyor that the world's ever seen. I want you to be the best at your job. I want you to be the best in the kayaking business. I want you to be the best in the medical field. I want you to be the best professor at that college, Jace. I want you to be the best working with cabinets and wood that you can, Tim. I want those greens to look the best that you can make them, Brandon. I want you to do it for me. I want you to take your everyday, normal, average life, your eating, your sleeping, your drinking, and give it to God. And when you do that, the best thing you could do is what God is doing in you. You don't have to try to be something you're not. It's time to take a stand. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on.